Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to all of you online. Welcome, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here this morning. Um, I would like to welcome uh, Cam, the cameraman, without whom we'd be lost. Um, <clears throat> First of all, I'd like to start out with announcements because there are a few things coming up that I think are of import to mention. Um, one, uh, we're going to be visited by the uh, by Peg in October. So there have been a couple of announcements that came out, but in case you haven't seen them or really looked at them closely, um, <clears throat> we're going to have an intensive. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Kim, it's the 15th through the 17th? 6th through 8th with oh, Peg. 6th through 8th with Peg. And so if you want to come in person, we're limiting that to 28 people due to COVID concerns. Um, so you'll need to sign up. And I would suggest uh, you do that as quickly as possible because I presume there'll be quite a few people who want to do that. 28 in, in on site. Yeah, on site. So I'm looking at two people on site. <laughs> In case any of you are on site and want to come. Um, the other one is um, Flint, right? On another date? And that's on the 11th. On the 11th. He'll be doing inquiry live from Abamata. So again, if you're interested in being here for that in person, there's a sign up. There's 28 people. It's limited to 28 people. So um, there will also be a Jukai ceremony. On the ninth, that's oh, right. Yeah, on the ninth. Yeah, you get this together all together. So um, that'll be really nice. It's the formal precept ceremony that uh, Peng will be officiating at. So that should be very nice. So we'd love to have you for that. Um, <clears throat> what else? Uh, I have a class going on, and the last class is going to be next week. Um, anything else? Anybody? Okay, so those are the announcements and you can check the website to get further information. Okay, <clears throat> so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the road chant. I know Flint has talked quite a bit about it. And I probably talked about it before, but I wanted to talk about it again. <clears throat> and the reason why is every time I read that chant, something new sticks out to me. It's a, there's a lot, there's so much there. And so I just wanted to talk about that with you guys a little bit. And uh, I also want to talk a little bit about um, what Mahat, uh, let me get his name right. Maisumi Roshi, Kaizen Maisumi Roshi has to say about appreciating our life, and and I think there's a there's a connection between 
the rogue chant and appreciating our life. So, um, to start, um, I'd like to go over the, the, the rogue chant a little bit. <clears throat> so, you all know it and have a copy of it handy, I'm sure. Um, vast is the robe of liberation. Vast is the robe of liberation. Okay, so we're talking about vastness and liberation, and when we're talking about liberation, we're talking about liberation from suffering. That's kind of the focus here. <clears throat> so the robe of liberation is in, the robe of liberation is like the wearing of the teachings. It's a formless field of benefaction. So we're talking about goodness, so much goodness. Wearing the universal teaching, wearing the universal teaching. What is the universal teaching? Exactly. Well, it's a lot of things actually, but I tend to put it with the um, use the three the three marks of existence is pretty important. So three marks of existence, impermanence. And so where in the universal teaching? So part of that is realizing that everything changes, and we talk about this all the time. Everything changes, and we know this on a certain level, but are we living according to that idea or is an idea to that teaching? The second thing is no self. So everything's changing. Ah, impermanence is also something that is, is really, before I finish with impermanence, it's really difficult to wrap your head around it, really. We get a kind of idea about it. Yeah, everything dies. Yeah. But it's much more complex than that, right? It's everything changing all the time. And you can think about it in terms of our bodies change. Let's see, what is it? Thousands of things change within one second. So it's mind-boggling. <clears throat> it's really an inconceivable thing to be thinking about. And the second thing, again, I'm saying no self, no self. And that's kind of complex too. That's another inconceivable sort of um, thing. <laughs> inconceivable idea, if you will. Um, no self. And we get into the realm of no self when we start thinking about uh, for example, just the impact that any one person, for example, has on the rest of the world. From, you know, walking across a garden, and maybe there are insects that we're killing, and maybe <clears throat> pounding the earth, or maybe we're having a positive impact with, you know, our, just our attitude and the way we care for things as we walk. Just infantile, I'm thinking about, in, in, in tiny, infinite things, little changes that are in their impacts all the time. And that's a lot about no self. We are not alone in this world. We're, we're all in this together, literally. We are all impacting each other and, and having good effects and bad effects and, you know, the whole, the whole mess. So it's, it's also an inconceivable concept, but we, 
need to be aware of it. Um, and then the third thing is, um, what is the third thing? Well, the third thing is suffering usually is, is part of it. So anyway, the next line, so we're realizing the universal teaching so that, that there's impermanence and there's no self. Emptiness. Emptiness, it's kind of the same thing with no self. Um, I'll go right along with that. So I realize the one true nature. I realize the one true nature, which is what we're talking about. I realize that there's impermanence and that there, everything is empty. Everything is a universe in and of itself. And it's all interreacting, acting and, and reacting in front of us and around us and within us. <clears throat> and then the next line, I realize the one true nature. Now, it seems really silly, I know. But you know, realize in English has has several meanings, right? Like I realize, oh, I realize that. Um, I realize that means I comprehend that. But um, all of a sudden this morning, I fixated on that word realize, and no, that's not the meaning here. The meaning is I realize it, meaning I actualize it. So vast is the one of liberation of formless guilt of benefaction. Wearing these universal te teachings, I realize it, I put into practice. That's harmonizing all being, because we can't harmonize all being if we're not realizing these things, putting them on and acting from there. So that was kind of an aha moment. It's so very simple, you know? But all of a sudden it just went, oh yeah. And this kind of came up because I've been talking a lot about in this class in the last um, intensive about true nature. What is true nature? And of course, true nature is one of those things that's inconceivable. We can't really wrap our minds around it from these concepts that we can't wrap our minds around. And so how do we, how do we deal with this beyond practice? So I was been thinking about that a lot, and I was thinking about, and there's a chant in here, and I'll go chant book. On uh, page 20, you don't have to look at it, but uh, page 26, I believe. Yes. So self-fulfilling samadhi, jiju samadhi, and it's by Dogen. And so He's talking about um, he's talking about the Dharma and the path of enlightenment. And he says, now all ancestors, I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's so lovely. There's so much in it. Now all ancestors and all Buddhas who uphold Buddha Dharma have made it the true path of enlightenment to sit upright, practicing in the midst of self-fulfilling samadhi. Well, now I get caught immediately. Samadhi, what are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> what exactly are we talking about? So, um, so samadhi is is actually meditation, and um, it, it's a it's a kind of meditation, deep meditation, deep concentrate con, con, uh, meditation and con, uh, concentration, 
Some people look at it as uh, the absorptions and going into the jhanas. So it's this really deep meditation where at some point thoughts go to the background and all of a sudden you're in this peaceful state. And, and I don't know being in um, intensives if any of you have experienced that, but the thoughts just kind of drop away. And he goes on later on and we just hope him. Those who attended enlightenment in India and China followed this way. It was done so because teachers and disciples personally transmitted this excellent method as the essence of the teaching. In the authentic tradition of our teaching, it is said that this directly transmitted, straightforward Buddha Dharma is the unsurpassable of the unsurpassable. Here we go with these more words that are inconceivable. From the first time you meet a master without engaging in incense offering, bowing, chanting Buddha's name, repentance, or reading scriptures, you should just wholeheartedly sit and thus drop away body and mind. <clears throat> so this is very interesting, dropping away body and mind. So you come to this place where we're no longer in our minds. Um, we're beyond mind, and that's what we read about in a lot of the different uh, sutras. Um, so drop away body and mind. So this is the thing that I've been curious about recently. Um, and I've been thinking about it in terms I've been teaching about this shifting into freedom. And I was trying to relate that to this samadhi. And I realized that it's a completely different practice, obviously. We're not sitting in meditation as such. Um, but actually what we're doing is dropping away <clears throat> So we're having awareness come forward and we're seeing beyond the mind. Um, and then he goes on, where was I? When even for a moment you express the Buddha's seal in the three actions by sitting upright in samadhi, the Buddha's seals, this is the impermanence, um, no self, and uh, the third one is, according to Masumi um, Roshi, the third one is, is peace. I've never heard it said that way. Um, but it's interesting, and, and he talks specifically about if you come to under to truly understand impermanence, not just if you truly come to understand what that's talking about, that all this is changing right now, and you realize that we as individuals can't can't even comprehend that, and that we really don't know ourselves, much less anybody else. Because we're changing all the time. Everything is changing. And we have this thing, we humans, of attaching onto things, especially the past, right? It formed us so much, and we hold on to that as this is a true story. Or we hold on to our values. But we're being inconsistent with the truth of reality, which is constant change, the thing that we cannot. We can't hold on to it. And we can't flow with it if we're holding on, 
holding on to something. It's like the river is flowing and <laughs> holding on against the current. Yeah, so it causes the suffering also. Um, yeah, and so, and, and the no self thing, if we can't comprehend that, if, if this no self is another thing that's totally um, inconceivable, and what it means is there's no fixed self. There's no fixed self. We think we're pretty solid. We think, yeah, I, you know, so-and-so is pretty predictable, da, 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 they do the, but is that really true? You know, not, that's not the true nature of things. Everything changes and we don't really know ourselves and we don't know other people fully. So, um, let me go through this some more. So when even for a moment you express the Buddha's seal and the three actions, the three actions of being in the, in the body, speech, and mind, um, by sitting upright in samadhi, the whole phenomenal world becomes the Buddha's seal and the entire sky turns into enlightenment. Wow! Wow, that's mind-blowing. So, that's not our natural, that's not our ordinary mind speaking. That's beyond what we can possibly conceive of. But through samadhi, presumably, and also our thoughts are kind of back in the back and we're just in this peaceful state, then that can make some sense. As in when you shift as well, the same sort of state of realizing the possibilities, all possibilities. <clears throat> so, because of this, all Buddha Tathagatas, as the original source, increase their Dharma bliss and renew their magnificence in the awakening of the way. I just love that. So then, now we're calling in the, the question of time. Time goes on forever, in a moment, actually. Um, we think of now, and now is here. But actually, it's already gone by the time I've even said that. <laughs> it's very, so time is so such a slippery, slippery slope. <clears throat> and it too can be inconceivable when you're talking in terms of the true nature of things, time and space. It's talked about in Bhimalakirti talks a lot about it in Mahayana text, in classic text. There's a lot of that stuff going on in that text. And on first read, you may say, this is crazy what they're talking about. But it's it's actually talking about the experience um, of the inconceivable at any one particular point in time and all this stuff that can, poss can possibly happen, actually, if we're seeing things truly. <clears throat> Furthermore, all beings in the ten directions and the six realms, including the three lower realms, at once obtain pure body and mind, realize the state of great emancipation, and manifest the original face. At this time, all things realize correct awakening. Myriad objects partake of the Buddha body. And sitting upright under the Bodhi tree, you immediately leap beyond the boundary of awakening. At this moment, you turn the unsurpassably great Dharma wheel and expound the profound wisdom, ultimate and unconditioned. 
Here you have it. Because such broad awakening resonates back to you and helps you conceivably, you will, in Zazen, unmistakably drop away body and mind, cutting off the various defiled thoughts from the past and realize essential Buddha Dharma. Thus, she will raise up Buddha activity at innumerable practice places of Buddha Tathagatas everywhere, causing everyone to have the opportunity of ongoing Buddhahood. So your impact from sitting is boundless. It's boundless. Cause everyone to have the opportunity of ongoing Buddhahood and vigorously uplifting the ongoing Buddha Dharma. Um, and it goes on about earth, grass, trees, and walls, and I won't go into all that, but you get the idea of what we're talking about here. So, so I was thinking about all, all of this, about true nature, and what does that mean, and how do we get, a, get an idea of that, how we can, um, we can drop away body or mind, through samadhi, we can do other practices such as the shifting. So what I want to bring back in my Sumi Roshi uh, again, who talks about how we're all the time living our life in our heads. And the, the life that we think we have is actually not real life. Real life is everything and everyone. Boundlessness, emptiness. So we play with this idea in our head. We're constantly playing with it, and and this is really not our existence. And but it's it's fine to have our thoughts and we have this mind and so forth that we use to carry out our days. That's great. But it's important not to confuse the, the two, the two ways of being, I guess I'm saying, or the two modalities maybe. <clears throat> so thoughts are fine, but don't mix them, don't mix them up with what actually is. So the Buddha said everything is constantly changing. The seal, um, the real, real life, therefore, is unknowable, as I said, because each of we are constantly changing. So each of us, each of us are unknowable. <clears throat> okay. So if we realize that we are not fixed and that everything is changing, then we can more readily work with things. Again, we can flow. So, do you understand impermanence? Do you understand the no fixed thing, which is no self? When you don't see this, this is when suffering will be nearby. You'll come along. <clears throat> But when you see that nothing is fixed, that we are not fixed, and nothing else is fixed, you can have peace because you're not having to try to hold on to things and you're not trying to build something up that is, you know, being taken away by a notion you build 
sandcastle and and what what could just wipe it out and how I like it. So these uh, Dharma seals, the impermanence, the no self, and peace are not something different according to my Sunni, but rather one thing. It's your life, actually, from three perspectives. <clears throat> Sometimes suffering is included in, in this. The suffering that we are may not be complete, that somehow our life is not whole. But when one truly understands impermanence, what that means, you understand there is no self. And when you understand these two, that's when peace arises. So and this sounds very abstract, and it, it is abstract. Um, but in actuality, it's it's all of a sudden I saw the four noble truths in it. They are the four noble truths. When you're suffering, there's um, um, there's a way, there's an end out of it. We, what is it caused from our clinging and our attachments? So we need to turn toward what are we clinging to? What are we attaching to? Figure that out and we come to where we drop it. And we drop it. And when we drop these things, that's when nirvana, that's the nirvana aspect, that's the peace. So all of these are together. So that's the end of my talk. Thank you. Any questions? <laughs> that always scares me when I didn't say anything. I was struck by drop away body or mind and body because often when I am thinking about, well, working on dropping away mind, I feel like I go into my body. <laughs> but yet that's another thing to be dropped away. Mm -hmm. So that just kind of made me pause and wonder, like, what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like yeah. just shifting my, my awareness into my body mm -hmm. is like getting, dropping away mind, mm -hmm. you know, leaving my ego. That's right. But it's as if I'm not, well, I still feel embodied, I guess. That's exactly right. And it's the, through the embodiment, actually, that we experience these things we say are inconceivable. We're picking that up through our body. So, so yeah. That's a little bit of point that drops away. Yeah. John, oh, sorry. There is the question of what's left. No self, <laughs> which was there all along. Oh. I'm sorry, what did you say? Uh, we have Joan online when you're ready for her. Joan Oh, hi, Joan. Joan. Where am I? Okay. Unmute. Let's see. Unmute something. You're unmuted, Joan. Okay, thank you. Well, um, I'm dealing with daily life seriously now. 
my husband has been ill and we're home now together. But my days and nights are spent with the details of how to live. And I don't know how to fit that in with what, you, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, well, for one thing, when you're in a situation like that, um, there are a lot of situations like that when we're really concerned about what's going on and have to fixate on that. And it's important to do that. On the other hand, we need to create space. We need to create time when we put that aside. It doesn't have to be a really long time, but we need to put it aside so that we can just be. And why is that? It's because our decisions would be so much better if we had some peace. Does that make sense, John? Yeah, I'm also saying that so much of my control is involved with my ego. Yeah. Being in charge, you know, making things work out, even though they're impermanent. How can I make things work out? And, and that's ego. Yeah. I don't see under any other way to do that with responsibility and with whatever knowledge and skill I have. It comes through the ego. Well, no. Yeah, I know about that. But uh, yeah, you have to use a certain amount of skill, but, the, but there's a way that one can do things, approach things that isn't, you have to make decisions and you have to take care of things. That's absolutely true. But there's a way that you can come, come to it that is a little bit different, that's not so, it's going to do this and going to do that, you know, that's a little bit more at peace with what is going on. You know what I mean? So if you find some, find some time just to be quiet and, and sit, and find the peace within you. Well, the closest I come to that is when I just let go, when I've given Bill all of my reasons why it should be done a certain way, and then I just back off. There you go. <laughs> but with that comes the fear that he's gonna fall over because he didn't hold on to his walker, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not so great. No, no. And I'm not even talking about the, 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 the specifics of uh, letting go is great, but maybe not letting him let go of the walker. <laughs> you know, you got to choose your battles, right? And, but I'm just saying for you, for, for you to be in a situation that you're in, it's extremely difficult and it's probably nonstop to, to take some time and just be, just be with yourself and just sit. Yeah. And, I, if you can, and if you can do it for long enough where you let that mind go away for a little bit, I think it'll be a lot easier to, to, to deal with the situation. Just, it'll be a change in, in, in your presence and how that impacts. Thank you. I, I, I've experienced that a little bit. I know what you're talking about. 
Thank you for that very much. Thank you. Melda. Oh, I'm unmuted. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Lori. Well, you've both actually um, touched on two parts of my three-part <laughs> um, coming forward. And that was, I don't know how helpful this is, but um, I tend to be a bit of a control freak, some of you have noticed. But the big difference in my life, and I hope in yours, and, and Joan said, is the letting go, not just letting go of the walker, it's not letting go of that, it's letting go of the result. Um, and that's what I know I personally have tried to control so much of my life. And, and although the, the, the hard work and the focus and the, and the intellectual and experiential efforts still go, go toward making the situation better, that little bit of letting go of the result has made a huge difference. And so that was the first part and Joan already addressed that and you did too, Lori. And you and I talked briefly, I think yesterday, Lori, about oh, in different ways we talked about, gosh, just making space for that one breath. Now, not only in a spiritual practice way, but for in a re-regulating way, getting out of the limbic way, um, settling sort of way, which leads me to a question, the actual question I have. And it stems from many different things, but most recently from being again in, in Buddhist action now yesterday and reading more on this wonderful book entitled My Grandmother's Hands about embodied racial and white trauma that comes from racial trauma. And actually um, Kim made a comment yesterday about sounds like we've all been through trauma. It's amazing that we've survived. But here, here's what the question relates to in terms of our practice, because I wanna be helpful to, to others. And yet I know from my own experience and um, watching others who have gone through trauma, especially complex trauma, um, that, that what, what we talk about in our practice sounds like platitudes and just don't work to put it simply. And the reason it just don't work, as we say in Texas, is that that trauma is stored in short-term memory, which means that it is constantly triggered. You can rarely get unlimbic. And so to talk with people about, oh, just take a breath, is um, it doesn't register, right? So I, I, what I'm seeking from you um, and everyone else is um, how, how can I help be helpful in situations where I am noticing or aware of that sort of traumatic triggering, both in myself and another, or even just in another, and approach it from a spiritual practice way when what we speak to is so elevated from that experience, it does not register in that person's body. Hmm. Um, I hope that all made sense. I hope it wasn't two words. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but with trauma, it's a whole different ball game. 
um, their degrees of trauma, but certainly trauma is a lot more complex. It can be, and you know, this is a, there's some things that you can do um, in related to Buddhist practices that will help, but sometimes it requires more than just practice. It requires, you know, intense, you know, either therapy or other things. You know, if it's really severe, it requires a lot of getting deep with that and working through that, and it takes a lot of time. So, um, yeah, you're right. Taking a deep breath, taking a deep breath in any one situation. Any one situation. If you're talking about trauma. That's obviously not going to work. You're 100% correct on that. Um, but yeah, so I don't think that Buddhism necessarily has all the answers for for deep trauma. I don't think so. I think there needs to be some other interventions. Depending, you know, I think it can really help. Um, I think the fact that if you have someone that you work with that you can turn toward these deep-seated issues um, and work in effective ways and it may be a Buddhist practitioner but may not be because that's not necessarily in the training dealing with trauma. I guess what I'm asking for Lori is I want to be helpful to others and when I see what have what have you what have each of you found in that moment when you see that person in that space to be the most helpful i'm not asking for a total cure i just am wondering what can i give that person even though it's small in that moment to bring them more more to peace that's well, I, I think generally people who are triggered you're not going to snap them out of it probably, but you can just be kind. Just basic kindness goes a long ways and that can help people know, you know, because that you, you sometimes in those sorts of situations, you have not only trauma, but then you have the shame about, about having been triggered. So you have kind of a dual thing going on there. Um, so it just depends on what it is. I mean, if somebody's being violent, or that's one thing, you gotta stop the violence, you know, if it's a dangerous situation. If it's just like overreacting to something that isn't appropriate for the situation, yeah, that happens. And um, sometimes you can pull them aside and talk to them, you know, but it depends if it involves you or not, or if, you know, it kind of depends on the situation. You know, but I think it's making, space for people to to have these sorts of issues because a lot of people can have experienced trauma whether racial or you know sexual or you know how many ways can you find your trauma but i think that uh, it requires a lot of kindness you know and and talking to that person if they want to talk to you That's the best I can do, Nelda. It's lovely. Thank you. Sandra. Um, thank you, Lori, for the Dharma talk. I just wanted to add a little bit to what Nelda, Nelda said. If, if may I say something? 
because uh, I, I work with trauma. Um, and one that is my, in my own experience is presence. Yeah. Like you say kindness, but it's the presence, absolute presence in that moment. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, and the other part is the Brahma Viharas is a very strong practice because when you're present and you have a very um, practice with a deep concentration and just the compassion and the loving kindness is just spread out from you without doing anything. So, and that's when that, that really helps in, in that situation because sometimes they don't want for you to say anything. Mm -hmm. You can just be present and you allow to the person to be touched that you know that you are there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's very useful, Sandra. Thank you. You're welcome. Maria. Hi. Yeah, I think people have kind of said what, what I was going to say, but it is, it's kind of that it's, and I think as practitioners, as Zen practitioners, I think when someone's triggered or going through trauma, what we can offer is is a, a presence of like, similar to what Sandra was saying, is a, a presence of calmness, of not caught up in it all, a still place. And what I often do when I'm working with somebody that's triggered or in trauma is I just sit next to them shoulder to shoulder and we lean on each other and we begin to breathe together. And we begin to kind of, and, and that and that and the person starts to join in your slower breathing and it begins to calm them down and even if you just sat talking to a person it's if you're doing that in a very calm steady way their limbic system begins to join in it begins to resonate and and calms and calms down and that's the the biggest thing is in working with anything like trauma or trigger or is 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 the simplest thing doing the simple bringing it right down to simplicity presence just with slow you know make sure you're breathing steady and you're calm and it's it's always the simplest thing that that works that works the most for, that really helps people to just really really settle and that's like i said that's where our practice helps because when something's chaotic or difficult and I'm thinking of Joan now, you know, with the, what she was saying about, you know, I've had experience with my daughter being ill for a long time. And at first I was very caught up in it all and anxious and the same as Katie, you know, frightened and scared and worried. And then I got worn out and noticed that I was becoming quite poorly and then realized that, that my practice, what I need to do is calm down, is become centered, is to take time out is to find a space like you were saying Laurie it's so essential to find a rest amidst it all when it's all not wait till it's over and and like everything's calmed down is to really find that that settled place you know sit you know sit in the garden look up at the sky you know or walk through some trees or really tune into the birds you know to really just bring us back you know, and, and, and like you talk about shifting, Laurie, to really just shift into that, that bigger space so that we can rest because, and that, that's the most we can do. And I think for me with Katie, it was like you were saying, Joan, I wanted to fix it. I need, I was the one that had to sort this out and fix this and I need to find the answers. 
and it was realizing that I can't, I don't have the answers and accepting that I can't fix it. And all I can do is be next to and with as a presence, as a, as a, as a calm presence with it all amongst it all, but also getting support for myself, seeking out friends and support and making sure I was talking to somebody as well. I'll just mute if I'm getting that feedback. But yeah, it's, uh, it's so important to make sure we are nourishing ourselves when we're caught up in a situation where there's illness that we're helpless in and that we can't fix. So accepting that we can't fix it, taking space to take care of ourselves and then coming back into the situation and just being that calm presence amongst it all. And also accepting that sometimes we're not going to be very calm and that's okay too. You know, it's, we're human, we're human beings, you know, and uh, yeah. So just being that calmness, offering that, I think is the biggest gift. It's the biggest thing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I want to bring it all back to your talk and thank you everyone for sharing. Because this is exactly what you shared with us, Lori. If we find that space with another, if we see that the world is interconnected and constantly changing, if we see that we're giving these, given these gifts and talents and this practice to do what we can to heal what we can in this world because it is all interconnected and vast and that the robe of liberation is vast, then absolutely we'll reach peace. I have no doubt. So thank you. Thank you. 